Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. The information contained on this platform represents the opinion of the host and shall not be understood, construed as, or a substitute for medical or health advice. Please see a health professional who is aware of the facts and circumstances of your individual situation. It's the Black Health 365 podcast, and we are here to make sure you look good on the outside and even better on the inside. After all, looking good, feeling good, and living a healthy lifestyle 365 days of the year should be a daily choice. Here at the Black Health 365 podcast, we will address the healthcare disparities within the Black community with trusted voices and information to empower a healthy lifestyle. Ain't that right, Britt? I'm talking about mind, body, and soul. What's good, 365ers? My name is Britt Daniels, your fit life coach, yogi, and entrepreneur. And this is the Black Health 365, where it is our mission to be champions of truth and change by providing y'all with personalized healthcare information and resources from trusted professionals. We are here to empower the Black community to make healthier choices all year long. I'm excited to be joined by my beautiful co-host. Aw, thanks, Britt. I appreciate that. <laughs> hey, 365ers, Jackie Page here, radio personality and fitness coach. And I want to welcome you to the Black Health 365 podcast. I'm really excited about today's conversation um, because we're talking about men. And anytime we get to dive into men's topics and men's issues, I get really excited because, you know, it's always interesting to dive into the opposite sex. But before we get there, um, really quickly, want to introduce and bring in our guest, Dr. Derek Griffith. Um, Dr. Griffith, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. Now, you know, I got to go down your list of accolades because you got a number of them. Um, 365ers, Dr. Griffith is a founding co-director of the Racial Justice Institute, founder and director of the Men's Health uh, Equity, member of the Lombardi Comprehensive Cancer Center and professor of health management and policy and oncology who specializes in interventions to promote black men's health and wellness as well as interventions to mitigate the effects of structural racism on health put some respect on that name doctor welcome to the black health 365 podcast thank you so much for having me i really appreciate it and I just got to hop in here and say, Dr. Griffith, it's been a pleasure working with you as a Georgetown alum, um, as someone who we're going to get more into it about the program that we run at Georgetown, the Mighty Men program. But brother, you are a really incredible dude. And I just want to appreciate you for being here. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I appreciate you both. I really admire what you both have been doing uh, throughout the work. This work is pivotal. You know, to hop into it, we like to start off things with what we call a check-in, just a mental, spiritual, emotional, spiritual what's going on how are you feeling today doctor doing well doing well i was on vacation about a week ago so i'm still you know riding that high a little bit so um doing well though doing pretty good yeah i'm glad you took some of that high back with you (laughs) how about you jackie um just like the doctor i am just getting back from vacation too so i'm still kind of on that high um 
I did the Jamaica Fit Trip. This was my second year. Um, and I have to say this year was better than last year. It was great just to connect. And I mean, we we laughed, we fellowshiped, we we worked out together, we cried together. So um, it was a really great year, um, really great um, trip. And it was a really, um, it was it was a much needed time away to kind of refocus, recenter, um, and and kind of get back to you know some of the things that I want to get into and some of the things that I want to do and the things that matter to me. So had a really good time and like and like the doctor said, just kind of riding that high. I'm a little tired though because you know when you go on vacation, you feel like you need another vacation from the vacation. I'm there, um, but had a really really good time. Britt, how are you feeling? Um, I, you know, I'm gonna keep with the, um, the pattern of the last couple check-ins, like I'm moving in abundance. It's been a lot of exciting things with my business, been doing a lot of community engagement. Um, but you know, December's close holidays are up. So I'm definitely almost ready to step into softness. But as of recent, I've been doing a lot of public and a lot of public speaking, um, and working with a lot of men. And that's a great pivot to what we're going to be talking about today, uh, health equity and, um, um, men's health. Uh, so I'm excited to have this conversation. Yes. And speaking of men's health, um, there was an article that was published by Men's Health and it talked about how men are doing today. And we just heard from both you and the doctor as far as how are you doing today. Um, but this article surveyed about 1500 men, a little over 1500 men, and just kind of, you know, did a check in to see how they were doing. And some of the results were quite surprising. Um, one of the numbers that was thrown out was that like, I think it was like 54% of men 59% of men are anxious and um, the things that they're anxious about money being the top one, 40% uh, of men anxious about money. Um, let's see. Personal life is 35%. <laughs> I don't want to laugh at the personal life one, but I feel like we as women kind of play into that. So personal life work, um, you know, the news, the world, and then um, another high number that was thrown out there was depression about, what was it, 59, 54%, 59% of men say, or were saying that they are dealing with depression. So it's, you know, interesting to hear these numbers when, you know, men don't really talk about them feeling anxious about things and men don't really talk about being depressed. Um, doctor, really quick, like, what are your, what are your thoughts on this? So I think you're actually seeing it, that men, it, the, the expectation is that men don't talk about these things, but if asked and given the space and the opportunity, men actually will talk about these things and they do express them. And often if there's a created, if the space is created and the opportunity is created for them to share that and be vulnerable in a space that they can actually be received in a positive light, they will actually talk about these things. I mean, we know depression is, you know, one in two people are going to be depressed in their lifetime. Um, anxiety is certainly, um, we certainly see, you know, those kinds of things going together. And so a lot of these issues are, are pretty common. You expect that, you know, financial woes and, and so forth are going to be uh, a challenge for everyone. And so it's not uncommon that men are going to experience those issues. I, I love what you just said there, doctor. And um, just to harp on it, um, you know, a lot of the space, I, I think, that there are the narrative is that men don't talk about these things. It's a public narrative. But like you said, when the space is provided, I'll bet the spaces aren't as, as many as they may be for women. Um, when the space is provided, men will speak up. Another thing I love about this article, Jackie, is how um, it gave advice for addressing anxiety, for addressing depression. Uh, one thing it said, start 
um, by noticing how you think about anxiety, also how you identify with it. Right. Some people, instead of saying I'm an anxious person, say, no, I have anxious thoughts because the identification with those ailments can really affect every single component of your life. And so I think that was really noteworthy. Yeah, that is a good piece to add. Um, I'm a firm believer that what you say and what you do becomes life. So, you know, how you word things and how you say things are very pivotal and very important in your life. So I do like um, I do like that you threw that out there and that the article did do that is, you know, not saying this is me. It's just I may have some of these tendencies. Um, so that's not what you're labeling yourself. And that's not what you become, because, again, what you think, what you say is what you do and is what you become. So I like that you uh, you pointed that out. A hundred percent. You know, just to speak if a little I bit may. on a personal note. I'm sorry. Oh no, I was just I was just gonna jump in. If I could, I mean one one thing that you're making me think of is in the health field, one of the things that we've seen a movement towards is exactly what you're saying, is as opposed to saying that someone um, is a diabetic, that we say somebody has heart has diabetes, that we move to this space of this is part of who you are, but it's not the defining who you are. And so I think these are what you're describing is reflecting that also that move and that narrative that we have to sort of move away from this idea that having a particular diagnosis, illness, condition is something that defines you. It's just part of who you are. Absolutely. And I can speak from a personal note um, as a black male who struggle, struggle a lot with mental and physical health. Most of my life, um, it was definitely a journey and the journey out of it and my journey towards wellness came from a place of necessary healing. And that's a great transition to what we have our Dharma talks in 365ers, if you remember. Our Dharma talks are a short sermon just to start the conversation, set a tone um, for the conversation. And today's Dharma talk is about embracing discomfort and finding discipline through, um, through curiosity. In the context of healing and self care, it means that we are willing to engage with challenging and unfamiliar experiences in order to foster personal growth and resilience. And these approaches can encourage a mindset of exploration and learning, um, leading to a deeper understanding of oneself and healing in the, in the journey. Self-discipline in the realm of healing and self-care can be driven by either fear or curiosity. Fear-based discipline can be focused on avoiding negative consequences or controlling outcomes, potentially limiting creativity and exploration. Conversely, self-discipline rooted in curiosity arises from a genuine interest in personal growth and a desire to achieve one's potential. And this form of discipline encourages a growth mindset, a willingness to learn from setbacks and a commitment to continuous improvement in pursuing healing and self-care. Uh, let's get into this conversation. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Yes, um, great Dharma talk. Um, 365ers, as I mentioned before, Britt and, or as Britt kind of mentioned before, him and uh, Dr. Griffith, they know each other. Um, they've done some work together. So before we hop pop into the conversation, I'm curious because my nose is a little nosy. Um, Britt, can you explain how you and Dr. Griffith know each other and what type of work you guys have done together? Yeah, absolutely. So, and I'll let Dr. speak more, you know, more on it. We are part of the Mighty Men program. Um, it's an initiative that's here is a faith based initiative to help black men in the DMV community. And I, doctor, I'll let you speak from there. 
Sure. Yeah. No. Thank you. And and Britt has been. Uh, I don't know exactly what what we made you as far as, as far as your your title, but he's kind of overseeing um, the trainers and is really sort of our lead sort of trainer in this project. But it's funded by the American Cancer Society. It's to focus on middle aged and older African American men and their cancer risk by managing their weight, um, eating, and physical activity. And so it's we developed this over the years. Um, and it's been at Georgetown, and we're doing it, I believe, with five churches in the in the D.C. area. Um, and it's really about helping men to understand um, what can they do, <clears throat> excuse me, to address these issues, and how can they make this a uh, a healthy lifestyle. So, how do they actually not, you know, it's not about counting calories, it's not about making things terribly complicated, but how do you actually, you know, have a healthy and active lifestyle? And we send them individualized messages and information. We developed an app that sort of is the anchor of this. But it's also about getting men together, sort of pulling on some of the conversation we had earlier, getting men together where they can share with one another and learn that they're not the only one who are experiencing different challenges, different barriers, and so forth. And so in the context, it's a small group-based intervention that runs for about six months. And so it's getting men together to have those opportunities to share with one another, build those relationships and create those spaces where they can figure out what kinds of things they need to do to do differently. And that they're not the only ones who are experiencing a lot of the challenges, the stressors and so forth in their lives as a foundation for building a healthier life, as well as um, more capacity within the churches to address these issues. Love that. Um, this great leads us to a larger conversation on um, what we define as what is health health equity, and how would you define health equity? Yeah, so health equity has has many different definitions. Um, I think for me, the most important is the absence of differences in health that are that we can actually address. Um, you know, it's basically saying that everybody, the health equity is an ideal that everybody would have the same opportunities uh, to be healthy and basically have the same ideal, uh, have, have the same um, potential health outcomes. Um, so we would have the same opportunity to live a long and healthy life that the average, you know, that people are going to live would be the same across things like race, ethnicity, sex, um, and so forth. Um, but we've never had it. We've never lived in a space or in a world where this, where we've had health equity. We've never lived in a world where people actually, by things like race, ethnicity, sex, or gender, have people actually had the same life expectancy. And so we need to. It's it's figuring out what are we going to do differently, and what are we willing to do differently to actually make this condition, make this context, a world where we can actually have these outcomes be the same. What are some things that we can do differently? What are some steps that we can take to make health an equitable thing for everybody? Because you're saying there is a lot of disparities and I, I mean, a lot of gaps and that's something that we clearly see. So what are some steps that, whether big, small, large, um, that we could do to make things equitable for everybody? Yeah, I mean, I think so. So there are things that we can do um, at an individual level and then there are things we need to do collectively. So. You know, I think from an individual level, we have to, you know, you could call it almost serenity prayer science. It's kind of doing what you can in terms of making sure that you're taking care of yourself, that you're, you know, taking care of your wellness, you're doing eating, eating healthy, being physically active, making sure you're getting adequate rest, all the things your grandmother 
and parents and so forth told you that you need to be doing to take care of yourself. While we do that, we need to make sure that we make structural changes or changes in policies in the environment, the places where we live and deal with things like racism and or at least figure out how we're going to create things in our communities, in our families, in our society that helps to um, address the effects of that, even if we can't get rid of, you know, what those kind of structures are. So one is thinking about, can we eliminate things like racism in our society and thinking about what that means? Um, and of course, that's, that's complex in and of itself. But, you know, when we're not going to change people's attitudes and so forth in and of themselves, but we can figure out how to create policies, advocate for policies that actually do um, buffer ourselves and buffer our communities from those kinds of things so that they don't have the same kind of effect on us. Because similar to what you said, even from the, the men's health um, statistics that you shared, a lot of the kinds of ways that these kind of things like racism affect health have to do with your opportunities to um, make a decent living. Do you, you know, whether it's by race, whether again, by the intersection of race and, and sex, that we see that certain folks don't have the same opportunities after putting in the same level of investment and in time, education, you know, effort in terms of work, that you yield the same amount of money, you yield the same, you know, pay per, per hour, the same benefits, like the same education doesn't benefit everybody equal. The same work doesn't benefit everybody equally. And so these are the kinds of things that make our lives more difficult and that lead to, you know, um, dying at higher rates, dying earlier and so forth that we see um, by race and gender in the United States. You really answered my next question, uh, question which is, which is um, what are some of these social determinants of health um, and how does structural racism play a part and maybe even the history of it? But if you want to expand, um, I, I think that would be a great place. Yeah, structural racism is, is complicated and I'm trying to avoid, you know, all of our little academic terms, but it's, it's, it's what we know and see as black people in our community every day, the kinds of um, things that are barriers to us being able to live the long, healthy lives, the achieve the outcomes that we want to in the context of our lives. Um, they call, we call it structural. We've added that additional descriptor to it because it's to highlight the fact that it's not about individual attitudes. It's not just about who has, you know, their particular belief system and what have you. It's baked into the fabric of different institutions in our society and healthcare and education, criminal justice and so forth. But the structural means that you see a pattern across these different outcomes. You see the same people who are benefiting and who are harmed by these same systems and they interact with one another. So if you have, you know, this pattern and these opportunities that are shaped in a particular way based on a certain belief system in education, and it looks the same thing in healthcare, and it has the same foundations, and you see the same thing in criminal justice, you see the same things in employment, that when you see those and you can predict without even looking at the data, who's going to be the most adversely affected by those, who's gonna have the worst health outcomes or, or worst outcomes and who's gonna have the best. And you can see that and predict that very easily, consistently. Those are the kind of things that we're talking about when we call it, call it structural racism. Um, it looks different. Part of, part of our work is it looks different um, depending on who you're talking about. 
So what structural racism looks like for black women looks very different than for black men. For black men, you have, and, and it's important, and we did some of this work to think about, um, there are certain, because structural racism and racism are based on sort of an ideology that, or belief system that certain folks are just fundamentally inferior. That it, at, the, at the core crux, when you pull it all, the, you know, you strip it away to its roots, one of the assumptions of what makes racism different than other forms of discrimination is the assumption that you can't do anything to really save this group or change them. If it's other forms of discrimination, the idea is that I can expose you to something, I can educate you, I can give you opportunities, and that is going to help fix the problem. So discrimination is kind of like that, but racism is something that where it's the assumption that this group is fundamentally inferior. They have less intellectual capacity. They don't have the, the same sort of constitution, variables, characteristics um, at their core, both in terms of integrity and character, as well as in terms of intellect, that giving them additional resources is gonna benefit them. And it's a waste of resources almost to basically continue to give resources to a group that is that, or think that we're going to educate them or give them resources to do that. So racism is that deep of a foundation of what we're talking about. And so mitigating that is, is or fixing that, or trying to buffer ourselves against that is really complicated, but it means doing things, like I said, taking care of ourselves, investing in the, the resources in our communities, like in churches, community organizations, and other things that have been created largely to stand in the gap for things that haven't been effective, um, undoing things that policies, practices, and norms within, say, organizations or communities that are harmful. So if we know that certain policies are not actually benefiting everyone equally and are particularly harming uh, black people um, disproportionately, that we need to find ways to basically eliminate those. And then figuring out what are the things that we need to do to bring us joy, support, happiness. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. All those positive things, we've got to create, we've got to recognize that the, the opposite of um, racism and inequity and including health equity has to be about well-being and focusing on those bigger picture factors that give people happiness and purpose and meaning and you know give somebody something to live for what you wake up for every day that has to be part of the picture of what we're aspiring to do sorry long answer to a short question happy 62nd birthday granddad thanks sweetheart i got you this a mug oh thank you uh, what does it say Beware, if you are 60 or older, you may be at increased risk of hospitalization from RSV, respiratory syncytial virus, compared to adults younger than 60. Not all dangers come with warning labels. Talk to your pharmacist or doctor about getting vaccinated against RSV today. Learn more at bewareofrsv.com. Brought to you by Pfizer. That was a beautiful answer. <laughs> Again, very professorial um, answer. Um, so uh, speaking of certain population groups, you know, we work together with the Mighty Men program. Can you speak on the studies that have consistently reported that men, black men, have a shorter life expectancy than women? And we can even talk about more um, inequities between men and women. So a lot of our work is really about that. A lot of my work personally is, is on that. And it's an interesting phenomenon because it really, 
the the sex so I'm, I'm without getting into all my academic nerdiness but uh, the the sex difference between males and females so if we just do that because the data basically that's the way that it's presented um it's a relatively new thing so whereas we know that you know basically for as long as we've had data that black people have lived shorter lives or had sicker lives in the united states for example than say white americans okay when you look at things like sex in the united states that is not the life expectancy difference between men and women overall not not looking within black people um, but you could actually it's it's grown quite a bit um, if you look at like 1900, the gap was relatively small and there, it actually grew quite significantly over about 120 years since that 1900 period. The gap between men and women um, within racial groups, so between black men and black women and between white men and white women and all the other groups and so forth, the gap has actually grown in terms of black women are now living several years more than black men white men are now living, I'm sorry, white women are now living several years more than, than black men, than white men. Um, women are outliving men and so forth, but that is a relatively recent phenomenon. By race, it's always been the case because our structural conditions, the structural racism that we we're talking about has been the plate, has been the foundation. But there's something about what's happened in the last century plus that we've seen that um, we can't really explain because it doesn't make sense that all the technological advances and so forth, how those, it doesn't make sense that those things have um, adversely affected one sex versus another. And we're not, um, gender is a whole different thing. It's about identity and experience and gets into other things. I'm only, I'm calling it sex uh, deliberately because it really is the way that we sort of think about the data or organized by biology, not about identity. And so that's why I keep calling it sex and not gender. Got you. Um, that actually makes a lot of sense. Um, crazy enough, but yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, for 365ers that are listening right now, um, they're hearing you talk. They're like, yo, this doctor knows what he's talking about especially men, they're listening. They're like, he knows what he's talking about. Um, you know, I really do like what he's doing with the Mighty Men program, but I don't live in the DMV area. Is Mighty Men only in the DMV area? Is it in other areas? Is there um, hopes that it will grow and kind of expand to different areas so other men can kind of get in on this um, and really focus in on their mental and, and physical well-being? So unfortunately right now, it is only in the, the, the DMV area. Um, we do want to expand so definitely if there are if there is interest please let us know or certainly if somebody has um some deep pockets and they want to fund some stuff we're very happy to to take money with within reason and within sort of ethical boundaries um so yes we could definitely do that um we have other projects um all of them right now we had a project actually that I want to just briefly mention called the Rooted and Rising Collective that was funded by the Movember um, Foundation that was focused on um, young black men and mental well-being. And the idea was that we've seen a, a, a striking and scary rise in um, dying by suicide in 18 to 25 year old black men in, in recent years. And so this was a project to try to think about what do we need to do differently and how do we create a different sort of narrative context and culture for young black men to support one another and do that. 
So what we did was trained a handful of about 10 um, young black men who are social media influencers to incorporate mental well-being content into the art of what they do. Some were comedians, some were coaches, some were, they just do very different things, but they had a collective social media following of about um, uh, a million and a half followers. Um, and so our job was to sort of incorporate that. And so many of them, there's a website for the project and you'll see actually the young men and you can actually go to the clips and see what they've been doing since then. But the point is that it's trying to change some of that narrative and trying to create those kind of spaces where men can actually see how can, yeah, it's, it's okay for us to talk about these issues. It's okay for, let's create spaces to think about what those issues are. Let's not sort of fall into these norms and expectations of what's going on and what's bad. So yes, we definitely want to expand any number and all of these different initiatives. Uh, we're doing a lot of stuff actually global. Um, one of the other Many other titles, um, unfortunately, for better or worse for me, that I have is chair of a group called Global Action on Men's Health, which is a global men's health advocacy organization. So trying to raise the visibility of men's health on the global scale as well. There it is. Um, Doctor, I can't thank you enough for all the wisdom that you've imparted on us and our listeners here to 365 as a black man um, that's still definitely on my journey. Um, it's, it's pivotal and it's necessary, the work that you do and that we do. For me, on my wellness journey, coming from a place of crisis, it was all about self-awareness, discipline, um, physically and mentally. And as a yoga instructor and, and wellness coach, um, that has been my guiding tone. And I've been hosting, similar to you, some men's groups. Um, I've been doing these total troops. Where we get brothers together and meditate and do yoga together and have dialogue. And like you said earlier, when men get into those spaces, when they're provided and created, they will speak up. And so we got to shift the narrative. One last question. We like to do uh, a what's your 365, which is pretty much um, what is a, a message that you would like to leave for the listeners, whatever that may be? The, 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 the thought that comes to mind for me is do not grow weary in well-doing. Um, and I say that because a lot of men, um, it's a little counterintuitive and they, we consider it somewhat of a paradox that a lot of the sources of particularly middle-aged and older black men's stress and poor health is because they're trying to do things to, in the system of structural racism, to take care of not just their own physical health and mental health and well-being, but that of loved ones, family members, contribute to family, community, and so forth. And those are usually the barriers to them being healthy, to them prioritizing being physically active, to getting adequate sleep and so forth, not some idea of masculinity, toxic masculinity, and all those kind of things that you hear in the media. So it really is about making sure that they prioritize, they find ways to um, take care of themselves and recognize that by taking care of themselves, they're going to be more able to have that impact that they want to have on the community, on the loved ones, on the things that matter to them than if they don't take care of themselves. So just to, to make sure that they lean into that and not grow weary and try to do that even if they can't see what those things are, to have faith that those things are actually going to yield the kind of outcomes that they want to see. I love that so incredibly much. I say that all the time. Um, you're only as good 
to others as you are to yourself. So you have to be great to yourself first. Um, I think we as women try to do a good job of that. And that's something, again, talking about the narrative um, that man, that men don't do it. It's something that, um, you know, the same way we say it for women is the same way we have to say it for men. Like you're only as good to your community, to your family, to your business, to, to everything that you want to do is, you know, if you take some time for yourself, so love, 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 love that. Cause that is something that I preach and say all the time. Um, Dr. Thank you again for just sitting down and chatting with us, for dropping all these gems and giving so much great information and um, inspiring the men that are listening right now to take their health and their wellness um, and make it a priority and stop pushing it to the side and stop making it a thing that's not important. Now it's very important. Um, It's number one. Um, It's the thing that matters the most. So thank you for everything that you're doing to, um, to really help um, the community, not only men, but the community, because when you help a man, you're helping the community. So thank you so much for that. If people um, want to reach out to you, do you have an email or social media um, that people can reach out to you at? So the social media, um, well, I guess is X now, um, is um, at Dr. DM Griffith. Um, yeah, that's probably the easiest. Um, email, I guess I can just give you, it's easy to, it's Derek.Griffith at Georgetown.edu. Um, and then you can see our center website, the Center for uh, Men's Health Equity at Georgetown. You just put in those words and it'll come up. And 365ers, especially men, and you know what? I'm not going to say especially men, men and women. If you want a Mighty Men program in your area, if you want to support what Dr. Griffith is doing, reach out because this is something that needs to be happening nationwide. This is something, honestly, that should be happening throughout the world. We're going to start nationwide. But if you want to support in any way, shape, or form, make sure you reach out um, to help men and women because this is not just uh, 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 issue with men. This is something, again, that affects the community. So if it's affecting my man, it's affecting me. So Dr. Griffith, again, thank you for what you're doing. Um, 365ers, reach out. Um, and as always, 365ers, if you have something that you want us to address, something you want us to cover, something you want us to dive into, hit us up on Instagram at Black Health 365 Again, that is Black Health 365 You can find me on all social media at LoveJack Page. And you can find me at ProfitFitness.life. As always, 365ers, it is your responsibility to be an advocate of your health. Dr. Griffith, thank you. Peace, namaste, and love. Black Health 365 is an Urban One and Reach Media production hosted by Jackie Page and Britt Daniels, created by Samuel Tatum and Laura Lopez, executive produced by Brittany Jackson and Kadisha Campbell, editing and production, Jahi Whitehead, sales and corporate sponsorship, Patty Johnson.